everyone. Welcome to Zone in Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking about Anime North 2019, uh, Canada's premier anime convention that I, incidentally, have never been to before. And joining me uh, to help with this discussion is Ashley Hacker. Uh, Ashley, can you just uh, introduce yourself to uh, the folks at home quickly? Uh, my name is Ashley Hacker. I'm here in Toronto. I'm a visual effects artist. I've actually gone to Anime North since 2004 or 2005 or so. I'm increasingly like doing more and more panels and informative panels and just mm-hmm. actually contributing to the convention rather than just being there as an attendee. And uh, I, I missed most of your, your big panel uh, during the, the, the convention, unfortunately, because it conflicted with mine, which uh, seemed to be a bit of a trend, at least in the Delta Hotel. But it happens. It's a convention, of course. Yeah. So, Ashley, uh, this was, of course, my first time going to Anime North in 2019, but you, uh, you've been there a lot longer. How, how long has the con been around? Um, the convention's been around since 97, I think so. Yeah, 97. Yeah. Yeah, and... One of the first conventions here in Canada, and definitely one of the oldest, longest running. In in Ontario, for sure. Uh, in Canada, it's the longest running, for sure. Wasn't Animathon longer in, uh, in Edmonton? Is it still running? Is Animathon still running? Sure is. I could be wrong. Animathon 26 is, uh, is this year. Oh, you could be right. Yeah. You are completely right. Animathon is, according to Wikipedia, is 1994. Yeah, uh, that's something I should probably explore because um, that's uh, that goes way back. That might that's probably one of the no, not not the old one of the oldest ones in North America for sure. Because most anime cons date back to about what n- early 90s is when you when you could distinguish something as an anime con from like a broader sci-fi convention. I think so. When you saw yeah. Akon and other stuff yeah. splitting off and becoming their own thing. Yeah, Animathon is something I, I should investigate more for historical purposes, and I've never, I've never been to an Alberta convention before. But, um, yeah, Anime North is uh, pretty close, uh, 97. De- definitely the oldest of Ontario's conventions, of which there are quite, there have been quite a few. It's the largest by far, though. It says Animathon in 2018 only had 9,800 attendees. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I think Animathon. I don't think they've cracked 10,000. Yeah. But, uh, whereas AN was just short of 35k. Yeah. Anime North on a few occasions has been the second largest anime convention in North America. Um, not in the last couple of years, but you know they're they're typically top four in terms of attendance. It's it's huge. Um, I mean, if you don't count Anime Expo, which is just like this massive, sprawling, gigantic mess that I, I think doesn't even qualify as a regular anime convention, Anime North is like the biggest on some on some occasions. When I first went to Anime North, it was just under ten thousand people. So to me, thirty-five thousand people is this intense, massive crowd to deal with. When I look at the numbers for Anime Expo, I literally can't comprehend that many anime fans in one space. I don't understand how people can, could possibly like enjoy that. Clearly, they do. I've been there, and I still have trouble comprehending it. <laughs> it's it, it's crazy. Um, I mean, I'd go again uh, because it's a well. The tacos are really good in L.A., so that's a good enough reason to go. So is it like the anime version of looking into the Grand Canyon and trying to grasp the massiveness of it? Yeah. Uh, what was interesting I found with Anime North, and you know, obviously you can you can you you can trace the way it's grown uh, over the years a bit better. But it it didn't seem that huge to me. Um, like, I, I thought I'd be, like, constantly congested in giant crowds or um, or constantly waiting in line for things. It might be because the events I went to were less popular, but I think everything was really spaced out. I mean, it, it's across, um, what, three different hotels and the Toronto Centre of Congress? Uh, uh, I think that's the accurate count. Yeah. And it, chances are, if you go to this convention, you will not even see... Oh, large technically portions. five. Five, really? The Radisson is used for their Cafe Nocturne and a few events, but then everything else is in the... Uh... See, I didn't even... I don't even know what that is. <laughs> that uh, was the tall hotel that you would see to the right side of the Congress Center. Yeah, but the cafe, I didn't even know there was a cafe. Oh, yeah, like, it's like... Yeah, uh, yeah it's kind of like a butler cafe. Oh, okay. You can't see all of Anime North in one trip. There's too much going on. Because as you said, it takes up multiple hotels. It it basically turns about two square kilometers into Weeb Central. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing, but also, like, if you have to cross that bridge, for, for people who are listening and haven't been there, um, some of the hotels on the other side of a highway, and you will see anime fans cr- crossing the overpass. It, it's perfectly safe for pedestrians to cross, 
But you may have to leave for a panel 25 minutes in advance if you have to cross the highway to get there. Yeah, and lots of jaywalking going on, uh, crossing, getting from one building to another is quite the experience there. Um, but yeah, it's what, what struck me was that with Anime North, I don't, when I was preparing for this trip, I had no idea what to expect because this is not, I'm, I'm sure as many people know, this is not in like downtown Toronto. This, this con is in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's close to the airport, but it's in like this little, um, stretch of, on this little stretch of highway that just has, you know, a few hotels, that Congress Center, and, and a, a few restaurants, and that's it. And I understand it's, it's, this whole area is mostly dead through most of the year, except for when Anime North takes place. Uh, and like every business in the area just kind of goes in the black, and that's part of what's sustained it with their very weird structure for so long. I would agree. Like, they, yeah. they certainly see their share of business conferences and trade shows and stuff, but it, it's anime fans, and well, not just anime fans, general fandom kind of events that really just put these people into the space for three days straight. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you go to a business conference, you won't see people hanging out in the hallway, sitting down, taking over all the couches in the conference center. It's anime fans will do that. They will just occupy yeah. all of the space because they're, they're hanging out. At conference, business conference, people go back to their hotel rooms or they go to board meetings or other presentations in these smaller breakout rooms in a convention center. Yeah. Anime fans just spread out. Yeah. And, I mean, compared to other conventions, Anime North kind of felt like the the, the immediate impression that I got of it, and this was verified, validated throughout the weekend, it's kind of like five different conventions duct taped together. Right now, yeah. And... Yeah, there's just no way that you will experience everything. You have, you definitely, when I was preparing for the trip, I had no idea what to expect for this area, or the layout of the con, or where to stay, or, you know, how to do anything. You have, you really have to throw yourself in there and experience it once before you have any clue of how to actually appropriately plan or, uh, traverse this, this, this con in any way. Because it's so, it's so weird, it's so specific, uh, it's, it's such a, specific experience that's developed in a, in a in its own unique way over the years that you, you have to get a feel for it before you can appropriately plan for it um, i brought my, my my best friend from high school who yeah. were like trading yaoi manga in the hallways in high school mm-hmm. many years ago she came up for anime north for the first time last year she wasn't able to come up this year and i am trying to prepare her showing her like 3d google maps like this is the space and we over the bridges here and this is where yaoi north and the gaming is this is where the dolls are once we get there, though, she's still completely overwhelmed. No matter how much you tell someone, the physical space that Anime North occupies is huge, and and you really, yeah, you really have to experience it. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't overwhelmed, but that, I mean, I've been, I have been to Anime Expo before, but also, almost all of my time was spent in the Delta Hotel, which, um, you know, that's where my panels were, where like, you know, Dave Merrill, Mike Tool, Neil Nadelman, uh, Helen McCarthy's panels for the most part, all were. So that was kind of the, that was the one ecosystem that I kind of burrowed myself in for the most part. I, I didn't even get to the dealer's hall for very long uh, at any point over the weekend. But I definitely, I definitely missed out on the sheer scale of this thing. Like you you said five hotel, hotels. I thought it was like two or three at the most. And then you, ha- and then you have the, the Toronto Congress Center, which um, honestly feels like an abandoned aircraft hangar. Uh, I, I really didn't know what to expect from that building. That building actually, in its most uh, southern part, which you, there's actually some panels held there, is actually entirely different. It looks like a hotel panel, like hotel space, oh, okay. only it only has panel rooms. And Anime North wasn't even able to use that space until a few years ago. Yeah, there were like there was like artwork, and the owners were concerned the anime fans might damage the artwork in the hallways. But I guess eventually somehow they got it to work out. Yeah, and is that the part where uh, the uh, Conservative Party of Canada always holds their like no. conferences and stuff. Did you go to opening or closing ceremonies? I was at the opening ceremonies. That building, that uh, TCC North building, is actually where that was held. Oh, okay. So the the very the they had surprisingly that inaccessible building. portion of uh, of of the TCC. Okay, I see. So it was a separate building. That building wasn't even there when I started going to Anime North. The Congress Center was just the main building. The Cong- the the TCC North building is a new construction as of some years ago. Like, this thing grows. When, when I started going in 2005, it was literally just the main Congress Center, as, as you knew it, uh, and the Delta Hotel, which is then called the Double Tree. If you ever heard people saying the Double Tree at the convention, they're referring to the Delta. They're just very used to calling it that. Yeah. 
And that was actually a pretty easily accessible. You could get to everything pretty easily. You only had to cross the road once to get to the Congress Center. But then the thing just kept getting bigger. Yeah, well, could, could you talk a little more about your background with uh, with the con and, you know, with just anime fandom in, like, kind of the Ontario area in general? I honestly can't bet. When I became an anime fan, it was actually in Moncton, New Brunswick. We were, we were oh, in high okay. school. But right, my father, right. I, think you made, I think you mentioned that, yeah. Right. Uh, my father was with Transport Canada, though, so he eventually moved, he moved to different jobs with Transport Canada or later NAV Canada after part of it was privatized. And we eventually went out to Cornwall, Ontario, and um, I eventually wound, wound up in Ottawa, Ontario. In Ottawa, I get involved with the actual anime group there around 2004. And that was called um, SOAP, or the Society for Ottawa Anime Promotions. So, so I was about to say appreciation. The Society for Ottawa Anime Promotions. So Very, very interesting acronym there. <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure they came up with the word SOAP first. And they're like, okay, guys, find some words to fit with this. That's how all the best acronyms come about, though. <laughs> and uh, this was an anime club. It had its own screenings. It also supported the university anime clubs in the area. And tying into Anime North, they would do trips to Anime North, because... Mm-hmm. Until, like, the mid-2000s, when you see that convention boom coming up, Anime North was the anime convention. Like, unless you, like we're saying, you want to go to Animathon in Edmonton. That's uh, even farther away. Yeah. So they would organize trips. Like, not just a couple of people. At its peak, they rented two coach buses. And would take two coach buses, which is, I think, about 55 passengers per bus. So about 100 people or so. And take them all down to the convention center. They would have all the rooms booked out. You just paid one price. They didn't do that anymore. And that was how I first experienced Anime North myself, being part of these trips. And uh, that did eventually end. The club ended around, I want to say, 2011 or so, 2012. But yeah, because that was that was the thing. Like Now we have like a Comic-Con, at least in every city, yeah. if not multiple ones, competing conventions. But then we you could round up 100 nerds, book the hotel rooms. Everyone piles in with their costumes and the buses. You gotta make sure everyone's there when you left Ottawa. Make sure you had them all on the way back out of Toronto. And I know that you live in Toronto now, so. I do. You're old, you're, you now have the experience of, um, kind of coming from out of town to going to this convention to basically, I guess, driving from home. I can take an Uber. Day. Or I take, spent, take an Uber, yeah. Which, I spent $74 on Ubers to get to Anime yeah, North. Which is a thing, a, a thing in your province. They are still, um, as of today, illegal in British Columbia. Which, you know, I'm, I'm okay with, because, uh, you know, fuck, <laughs> uh, fuck Silicon Valley disruptors, but, um, I, I actually, I used, I used Uber for the first time <laughs> when I was, uh, at this con because I was staying at an Airbnb that was close by because I was not fast enough to get, uh, one of the main hotels. Um, oh, which, the rush for the hotels yeah. is really bad these, for like the past five plus years. I didn't, like, I didn't even know that you had to get on it in August. I thought, I thought it was like October and it was too late at that point. I, I understand the, um, auxiliary hotels are very far away, and you need to and, and you need to get bussed in. Basically, so. I have friends who got a hotel that was about consider the walk from the Delta to the Sheridan, about yeah. that times two, like just as far past the Sheridan. Okay. They drove to the convention from their hotel room. They would drive and park in the Congress Center, and that's not terribly convenient. I, I, I think I can't imagine driving to this convention and trying to park and driving to this convention yeah. from your hotel room. Yeah. So they're not even like driving from home. They have they have a hotel room about three kilometers away, basically. Yeah. So you can't you could walk that if you really wanted to, but it's not convenient. And, st- and of course they can use their car to stow stuff they've purchased. And yeah, because staying with the Airbnb, one of the big uh, drawbacks I found this this convention in particular, where you're out out largely in this big open space and wandering around between buildings uh, that are have a fair bit of distance between them um, when it's quite warm out uh, and also quite muggy out. Uh, you get you get some some great uh, late May weather uh, at this convention. It's kind of just out in this big dry area in the middle of nowhere. Um, is that I really wish that I could have gone back to some kind of hotel room during uh, during the con and been able to go back and forth to you know get Tylenol or. Um, or, or things like that. Or if um, you have an hour to kill and just want yeah, to go to your hotel room. If, exactly, I, yeah. If you want I, a hotel room. I had no downtime at this convention at all. It was always one thing after another for me. But Yeah, yeah. we spent some time. Well, you were with us. We were hanging out in yeah. Dave Merrill's room a, yeah, a few yeah. times. Yeah. Because they had a nice hotel room actually in the Delta, which you could just go to panels in your pajamas if you get the Delta. But everybody tries to get the Delta like yeah. as soon as they can. 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I was thankful at least uh, Dave offered me a place to drop my bags off at some point during the day, because I, uh, as a panelist, I had to carry my laptop around with me, so. Um, I was in full Ghostbuster costume, proton pack included, so I also had my presentation gear in a separate backpack, and so I stowed that with Dave, then switched out for the backpack for, uh, for our panel, and because that, that's uh, the proton pack for a Ghostbuster costume is kind of big and bulky, and there's no way it's also carrying around a backpack along with the proton pack. Yeah. So yeah, Dave, Dave's Dave's great as a, a storage locker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so have you been to Anime North like every year, pretty much, or for the most part? I went for several years in the 2000s with the trip, but there was a window where I was going to college and doing some other stuff. I was a, a, an older college student around 2010 to 2012, yeah. where I wasn't going. And then I moved to Toronto at the tail end of 2013, a month before Anime North. So since 2013, I've gone every year. Yeah. Okay. How how did you find this year in particular compared to some of the uh, the more recent previous years? Was there were have there been any major, major changes or, or developments or, or anything? Anime North is largely the same thing for the past few years. It it really feels extremely similar. They, there was a time when they were adding new tracks. Like you said, it feels like multiple conventions because they have like Yaoi North, Gaming North, and stuff like that. Um, when I started going, Yaoi North was this new track, and that was the first kind of dedicated getting to do its own. But Yaoi North has a, a, a fair bit of autonomy, I guess you could say. Yeah. And so does Gaming North. Gaming North came later. They used to just have a gaming room, whereas now you have this complete gaming thing with competitive gaming going on, land centers. They had personalities from the YouTube channel ReRes coming in. I find it fascinating that Yaoi North and gaming, the gaming stuff, it's all in the same hotel together in one ecosystem. That, that seems like a great idea to me. It, it, uh, it seems like it would create a very uh, unique kind of uh, flavor and environment. I, I think it could, especially because um, some of the people at Yaoi North have the bathrooms in, the sh- in that Sheridan Hotel uh, all converted to uh, all gender. Mm-hmm. So you had the two large bathrooms with their gender signs uh, just completely covered up. That makes for some interesting interactions. But Yaoi North isn't that big. It's like one video room and one panel room, okay. whereas Gaming North takes up most of the facility. Because they have um, arcade machines set up in some space, retro games. They have you know competitive gaming going on. Like, they're running tournaments. There's apparently a room. There's a room you could do LAN gaming, like bring in your own computer and play Counter-Strike Go or something. Yeah, but it, it's uh, it's interesting that you say that the con has been... Very similar for the last few years. Very because much. Because what, talking to people, what I found interesting is that the Anime North, I think even more than a lot of conventions, has fallen into a very specific kind of formula or groove. And just it's kind stagnant. of sustains itself, propped up by its like the area it's in and the circumstances that kind of allow it to keep going. Like, a- Anime North is, it is a very... Um, elbow grease kind of kind of convention. I notice most of the people running it are seem to be very... Uh, older, long-time fans who have been doing this for a very long time. They do it in a very specific way. If you were to, like, replace everyone who was in charge of running this convention, it would probably go awry because, you know, you don't you don't understand the, the formula and the approach and how people have been doing it for years. Um, and it, it seems like it should be, like, a giant chaotic mess, but it's not. It just kind It just kind of works out perfectly for kind of the circumstances they built over the years. Or if, rather... I, I said replace all the all the staff, but if you were to even just take the con as it is and move it over to the downtown area in mm. Toronto, which I I understand is something that people um, ask why they don't do that a lot. I can't imagine taking something like Anime North and transplanting it into a more centralized kind of organized conventional convention uh, convention center because you would have some horrific um, transition or growing pains. In doing that, if they if they tried to do something like that, because anime anime North is just it it's uh it just become its kind its own entity defined by its circumstances, which um I find that I find that neat. Yeah, a lot of the staff you're seeing were there in 1997 or or like soon in the yeah. years following that, and they've been doing this and they've they're very much in the routine, which is an advantage in some ways because it. it at, well, I would argue that Enemy North is rather stagnant at this point in terms of like what you're going to see year over year. At least you know how to deal with it. Like you, yeah. if you've done one Enemy North in recent years, you know exactly how it's going to run pretty much every other year. So you can like prepare and plan and even to a degree build a routine for the convention. It's interesting compared to Vancouver, where I don't know, I don't know how much you know about cons in Vancouver, but we had 
anime evolution starting in 2002 and it was it it was run very much like anime north a lot of the time you had a lot of like older fans who had been around uh in the different university clubs and with our own kind of centralized university club or sorry centralized anime club in the city that was called VJAS Vancouver Japanese Animation Society and a few other groups they kind of shambled the con together held it at Simon Fraser University for a few years whereas anime north seemed to have a good relationship with the area and all the businesses in the area because you know it it it, it helps them do very well for at least that one weekend throughout the year um, anime evolution always had a very tenuous relationship with, with Simon Fraser university mm. and things got messy as it tried to move venues. And there were other issues that came up and other kind of divisions emerged. And also it, it wasn't being run by, it wasn't founded by two rocket scientists like anime North apparently was as well, which, you know, that may, that may have helped. I don't know how those, how those skills translate over, but, um, yeah, anime evolution just kind of fell apart. And then a for-profit con popped up a couple years later called anime revolution, um, which is one trend we have in, in Vancouver is that all the conventions have terrible names uh, that are usually unoriginal. Um, is, is Anime North really a good name? It was just the it's it was just a good name on. in 1997. You would never name a con that today with all the no. competition. Yeah, it, it also elicits the idea that Anime North is the only anime convention in, in Canada we're talking about, which is not true. Um, it's and tr- also, yeah. And also another trend I've noticed with with cons in Toronto a lot of the time they will tack Canada onto the end of a name. Their name, mm-hmm. actually, Fan Expo, which I which started as an anime convention and is no longer an anime convention in any way whatsoever. I, it always bothers me how they call it Fan Expo Canada, whereas you have Fan Expo Vancouver and then also Fan Expo Dallas. But you have multiple Fan Expos in Canada, but the one in Toronto is called Fan Expo Canada, which you know just just feeds into that Toronto is the center of the universe kind of kind of idea, sort of which. Obviously That's what like you get that. with Toronto being the capital city of of Canada. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> it it's definitely interesting. It, getting to see a little of the behind the scenes stuff in uh in Anime North was kind of gave me a phantom vision of how things were working in um in Vancouver and I'm curious to see how this this thing has developed in other cities. I'm definitely Animethon is one I'm really interested in in seeing now. So I but there's also some weird things about Anime North that I guess you could say are kind of bad habits as well. Um, now, I know you've, you've done a few panels. Um, the big panel that you did was Fandom Through the Decades, mm-hmm. um, which that's, that's the one I mentioned before where I wasn't able to see most of it. Um, now, that, that panel and also the panels I did are kind of unique because they weren't submitted um, the way panels normally are at Anime North, where, you know, you basically you talk to the programming department for the, the video kind of presentations, which are in all in the Delta Hotel. And specific panelists are able to do their own panels that have, you know, video, videos and stuff with support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got in there through through connections, basically. But most people who are submitting panels to Anime North, there's a different process that's more similar to, like, an old style, an old school kind oh, of... Oh, completely. Yeah, the uh, sci-fi. The yeah. You, 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 do, you have done some of those panels, so I'm, I'm interested to, to hear your take on that whole approach our our panel was actually one of those panels last year then then dave merrill this was um said he we would go through his uh his means instead for this year which was able to get us a two-hour panel and a much larger room and yeah it was much easier to go uh so so man for uh yet there's some history context here like you're saying how it used to be uh most anime conventions up until five ten years ago People were just happy to be in a space with other anime fans. It, like, like when I was talking about how we do trips from Ottawa to Toronto, people had difficulty connecting with other anime fans in real physical space. It was a much more niche hobby and interest. Increasingly so in like the 80s and the 90s. Uh, not, not what, it's not the mainstream thing it was today. So people were just happy to be in a room to talk about an anime or some franchise or an anime related topic that they liked. You would have the smartest people on the block talk in these panels, leading them, because they, they were the one who saw almost every episode of Card Capture Sakura, so they were doing this panel. Whereas today you have, if you look at social media, you have these like brilliant super experts on a certain topic. They all have entire social media profiles all about Metal Gear Solid and just all these details they reach up, and they do these amazing detailed panels about that. But Enemy Norse organizers are, in some ways, still running the same panels they think they were running in 1997. So you have a very rigid, it's uh, hard to get more than an hour. The approvals process is 
oh god, how do I explain this? It has a lot of inelegant bureaucracy to it, into how it's arranged, how you must register, the website you must go through to do these panels. But at the same time, the barrier to entry, assuming you can do the procedures are needed to do it, are not actually that high. Pretty much any group of three people minimum could get almost any panel they wanted at Enemy North if it was vaguely anime related. But I, I understand that they can add people to your panels or combine panels together almost on yes. a whim. Yeah. Four, four complete separate randos could say they're going to do a mobile police pat labor panel and they'll just be like, oh, super, we've had four ideas for a pat labor panel. You are all in the pat labor panel together. Good luck, guys. Here's your email yeah. addresses. You guys organize. Like the one good thing I can think about that whole approach is that it can probably minimize the number of ask a character panels that you wind up with which are the greatest disease plaguing conventions still today i uh, could be wrong but i don't know if anime north ever did those so i've only yeah. read about those yeah it, it, it doesn't that's one thing that does not seem possible with anime north's approach but it's still very kind it's very it's really outdated um I, and I know that you know others have been critical about that and have been pushing for change and have been unsuccessful. Uh, I mean, Dave, Dave Merrill has been unsuccessful in trying to push for change in that area, so it it kind of shows how deeply entrenched it is. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a unique kind of um, archaic little thing about this convention. I agree, and there are there are these super nerds who are capable of putting on amazing panels, and I think any convention should be eager to bring these people in to in order to booster the content they have available at this convention. But I, I think, to be fair, Anime North continues to see growing numbers. So while there are criticisms of what they're doing, whatever they are doing, somehow they're doing it right. Like in, if yeah. you look at the attendance numbers, there's no numbers for this year, but the convention isn't dying. That's for sure. Oh, no, definitely not. We're right. at what? Uh, 32,000 for 2017, 34 and a half thousand yeah. for 2018. Pretty, pretty safe to say the con is probably over 35,000 now. Um, in in that in that area, I have to admit the convention felt more spacious than it did. The dealers' room felt less crowded yeah. than it did the last couple of years. Okay. But that could be very subjective. It could be when people were shopping, maybe the space they were able to like move tables apart. Maybe there were less dealers, so there's more with less dealers' tables. There's more space between them. I'm I'm not willing to. It just felt more a little more a little less crowded than it did in previous years. Not that okay. it didn't feel crowded. It it it's cert- like I mentioned before, uh, and this might be largely due to the whole five conventions duct taped together thing. It 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 didn't feel exceptionally crowded for such a big con to me. True. But, from my from my perspective, yeah. I've been in that same hotel space when it was only ten thousand attendees, and it was far easier to find a couch that you and your friends could hang out on. <laughs> whereas there's a lot of competition for those now. They're, they're fortunate to get Mike Toole, who has. Uh, I don't know if he typically does a discotheque panel, but he did one this year, which I, I got to say, those discotheque panels are great that uh, that Mike Toole and um, Brady Hartel uh, does as well, because they feel like a kind of an elevated homage or throwback to the way anime industry panels used to be when, you know, you had a person who you could actually, who actually you could connect with, but, and also has some kind of actual say in the company. It isn't just a marketing head who's holding you hostage for 90 minutes, showing you various trailers. Because he goes every year, it's it's kind of a um, backdoor way of getting more industry representation at Anime North as well. And that's something that the con, that I've noticed the con has been lacking over the years, and it's it seems to be due to a, a few factors. And I mean, I know Anaplex was there this year, but like I've, I've heard that they have rejected actual like industry representatives or companies from having booths in the in the dealers hall in years past which you know i understand that anime north wants to be like a fan focused convention or fan run convention but i that's taking it to a kind of a crazy extreme if you ask me yeah anime north has never been big on i think i think the the best word to be like corporate sponsorship from the larger anime companies uh i definitely i'm pretty sure i went there in 2013 or 14 i remember country world was there because i went to a few of their panels and it was interesting, of course, just uh, most of their panels included Shiro Bako screenshots, because every time you talk about how anime is made, you have to have screenshots of Shiro Bako. Of course. That's like the rule these days. Nobody remembers Animation Runner Kurumi? I do. So, Ashley, you did, uh, as we mentioned before, you did do your um, uh, anime, anime fandom through the decades panel. Uh, so I, I caught Dave Merrill's part in the beginning where he talked about... Um, uh, kind of his own experiences and 
early fan subbing and uh, um, cartoon and fantasy organization backgrounds in, in the United States uh, for the most part. But uh, you kind of headlined the second half of that panel, from my understanding. I had to leave because uh, it conflicted with one of my panels. Could you talk a little bit about what uh, what your panel was about and how it went down? It's more like later third. We had Dave Merrill mostly covering the 80s, but also some stuff predating the 80s. Yeah. We also had Greg Taylor, who was part of that anime club in Ottawa I was talking about, who's now a math yes. teacher. He mostly covered the 90s. I was covering roughly 2000 until 2010. At, at the current state of the panel, we're treating anything after 2010 as the present. But as terrifying <laughs> as it is, in a year or two, it would not be crazy to include a fourth person to cover the 2010s. Uh, so yeah, my, my, yeah, my, my part came at the end pretty much. We tried to do the panel chronologically. And I think the 2000s is the most amazing point in the anime fandom. Now, considering I lived through that, I'm probably biased in it. But this is when the anime fandom went from a closed circuit of nerds and a few companies selling stuff on VHS tapes and a few tapes in the Blockbuster or the other video stores that you could rent for anime to technology really pushing this fandom. You had the explosion of the personal computer, which allowed much faster digital fan subbing rather than using like an Amiga and getting laser discs and copying tapes. You had the an adaptation of broadband internet. You had uh, BitTorrent. So th- those alone allowed this fan sub explosion to become much more accessible. And you also had DVD and the PlayStation 2, which was the cheapest DVD player at the time. And fans are able to connect and more panels, a lot of, sorry, more conventions start popping up. And a lot of these conventions were anime clubs that had previously been growing, and they were like, okay, guys, this is it. We're going to go be more than an anime club. We're going to do an anime convention. And a lot of those conventions spawned in that kind of genesis. And this decade ends with Crunchyroll starting to go legit, because mm-hmm. they started out as a pirate stream website, and then managed to get a deal from for Naruto, which is kind of an amazing story. Now they're the largest name in getting anime to you the day it releases in Japan. So a lot of interesting things happen in this decade, and I, I, I and there was the whole bust, the whole industry bust too. Which oh, kind everything of le- which exploding. led to yeah, yeah, which led to Crunchyroll being able to you know seize the moment and, and legitimize and get that Naruto license. Yeah, there was a real vacuum there. Other than like anime didn't die. It's more like anime's home video died. Companies were still like licensing stuff to put on TV and stuff like that, but like a, whole, a lot of the home video companies just imploded because they were overproducing disgustingly. One of my favorite slides from the panel is a tweet from only about a year ago. Someone worked at a, uh, a Goodwill, and they had 26 or 27,000, sorry, 26 or 2,700 units of the same Yu Yu Hakusho DVD that was passed <laughs> in in boxes. It was the one disc. It was not like entire complete series. It was one volume. 26, 2700 times over. That somehow had been in storage since the boom. And, and that, that's really a testament to how the anime companies bought real hard on home video, but they over, overproduced and they just spent more money than they could manage. And I think there's a lot of interesting history to cover. That's why I gathered Dave Merrill and some others to do this panel, because anime as a fandom is now old enough that it actually has a history. It's not just the stuff we're doing a couple years ago. It has this history that many anime fans never experienced firsthand. Whenever you're at an anime convention, I, I keep getting older, but the convention is still full of high school kids and college kids. And to many of them, anything older than Sword Art Online could be considered retro. Sword Art Online, that's... that's 2012? 2012, that's... Eight years. Like How many of those kids there do you think had not been in this fandom since uh, before 2012? Yeah. Half of it's them, so, probably? It, it's so weird, because like, I, I, did, I did my um, Bionics 15th anniversary panel, because... Uh, Bionics, the, the YTV block, it has now um, been gone for twice as long as it was originally around back in the early 2000s. And I, I make a big deal about how part of, a lot of the success of the block and a lot of you know what drove anime fandom in Canada in the early 2000s was because there was kind of this three-year vacuum where there wasn't really any anime airing on TV, which helped fuel a phenomenon when it finally did come back. Uh, but... You know, th- three years uh, is not a long time when you're when you're looking back and and kind of putting things into context. Um, I guess it's a long it, it is a long time when you know you're in the the height of the Pokemon phenomenon hmm. and everything you get on the air counts like ten times more than it would at any other point. But 
Yeah, like, I mean, you, you put it into perspective that Sword Art Online was eight years ago, and how many things have happened and changed since then? How many things happen and change every year now? I, I, can't, even ima I can't even imagine what this whole media landscape is going to look like like this, like this, by the end of this year when we have, you know, the new Disney and, and Warner streaming sites. It's, gonna, oh, it, it's good for me yeah. as a visual effects artist, as long as they yeah. are all competing and throwing money at making shows. <laughs> but I, I, I do worry if that's ever going to snap. That's going to be a bubble that could burst. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's so weird. It's so unpredictable. We, we've we been waiting for Verve in Canada for, for or any, everywhere outside of the U.S. For, for years. But then, you know, Warner purchases Elation and Otter Media, and suddenly Verve keeps getting pushed back, and now they're pushing this Warner streaming site. Like, what, what is the, like, what is the future of all this? How is it, all, how is it all going to amalgamate together? I can't even, I can't even imagine. I think um, the concern is, will it amalgamate together? Or are we going to have this very wide range of a la carte options that are five to ten dollars each per month? Yeah. And is that affordable, or are people just going to pick one over the other? And there's a lot of, how to, there's too much TV, the same way there's, there's too much anime, the same way. Yeah. I, I fondly remember when there were a lot of very much flagship series or flagpole series that, you know, people could rally around, like Cowboy Bebop and Evangelion and a, a lot of the big shonen shows. That, to be fair, the shonen shows continue to be flagship products in the anime fandom. But now it's hard to remember a show from a year ago. There's, I'm watching five to ten series a season. That's four times over a year. The, the volume of shows has increased, but, I mean, our access has also increased considerably because there was still a lot of anime coming out, you know, even in the late 90s, throughout the 2000s and early 2010s that, you know, we didn't get. So, it was curated. Even, even, yeah, it was curated, more curated. So, and obviously there, there is an overall volume now. I think, I think they determined that there is now, we're finally seeing a, a decline. There's something like 15 fewer shows uh, this spring compared to the previous spring. I think so, probably, but that's out of like yeah. 50 or 60 shows normally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's it, it's ridiculous. Um, and I yeah I I think back in shows that have aired just over the last year, and I, I can't believe that that was not years ago. When was I watching that show about the horse girls that raced? Wait, that was only <laughs> like 16 months ago. That, wow. Yeah, that was that was. Yeah, less than a year and a half ago. Winter season, I think, in 2018. Yeah, yeah. and um, a place further from the universe. That seems like it. That came out so long ago, and it was. Where is the Blu-ray for that? <laughs> yeah, good question. It's. It's. I guess my point is, it's much harder to rally fans around a lot of big shows because now instead everyone's watching their own favorite shows. Yeah. One of my favorites in the last five years was Recreators, which is basically mm. the anime version of Cartoon All Stars to the rescue. Yeah. Where anime characters are brought into quote unquote the real world and they still have their own powers in that universe, but our actual real world really can't deal with these kinds of powers. It's ripping our universe apart and people are meeting their own creators of anime series. Some of these characters have tragic backgrounds and want revenge on their own creators. And I thought it was very good. But in the United States, it was trapped behind Amazon's second paywall with their anime strike. And yeah. I thought I couldn't access here. Turns out it was just on regular Amazon in Canada. Oh, you didn't you didn't know that at the time? I did not until after yeah. I finished it. And I paid for Prime. Like, wait, I could have been watching this on regular Amazon. Because yeah, everything I read yeah. was about yeah. trashing Amazon that's, anime strike. That's the thing, is that um, the stuff that was on at the anime that was available on anime Amazon Prime, for some reason, was never promoted. Like, even when Sentai had that deal with Amazon Prime, mm. and they were getting their stuff on Anime Strike, they never, in any promotion ever, whatsoever, mentioned where the stuff was running in Canada. Um, I don't know why that was. I, it, it might be because they didn't want to raise the question of why we got it without the second paywall, whereas the U.S. didn't. What um, I knew is Anime Strike was not in Canada, and the yeah. show was on Anime Strike. That I didn't realize... That was the perception a lot of people had, and it just goes to show how um, even when we have access to the content or even when the ability to distribute the content in Canada is in place, the companies just don't care or just don't d can't be bothered to make the additional effort to communicate things to the Canadian segment of, yeah. of the audience, and it just kind of gets forgotten. Anime news media is, of course, very U.S.-centric. They kind of yes. Canada, they just assume, is getting everything the same. And streaming services are very, very regionalized, though. Oh, you can just watch Ramnon Hulu. Yeah, okay, I can watch Hulu in Canada, sure. 
that's going to be interesting because uh, now that Disney effectively owns Hulu, um, it presumably is going, they're saying it's apparently going to be available in Canada, but that's also going to cause Hulu to fundamentally change because, you know, obviously Universal is going to pull all their stuff from Hulu soon. You're not, it's not going to become the um, next day streaming destination for those U.S. network shows. And anymore. how is that going to work out with the Canadian networks with their services like Crave, which may have yeah. some shows that Hulu doesn't? Well, yeah, exactly. But that's that's the thing. Hulu is not even in the U.S. Hulu, like Hulu's entire bread and butter right now is those next day streaming, um, that next day streaming access for mm-hmm. U.S. network shows on like ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, all all of them. But now that Disney owns it, those kind of companies are going to pull out and put their content on their own streaming platforms. So that's going to force Disney to fundamentally change what Hulu is. So that may allow them to bring it up here, but it's just going to be a service with the name Hulu. Yeah, what and, will that Hulu be? Yeah, and will it even, is it going to have all that anime that we've been missing out on, like Rama One Half and Inuyasha, which have never, or Inuyasha the Final Act, which have never streamed in Canada at all? I am personally skeptical. I think that Hulu is just going to, it's going to, I think it's going to launch here with a very um, compromised, uh, kind of catalog and probably not have anime or anything uh, when we get it. And a, com- be- a compromised catalog of media in Canada. No precedent <laughs> yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that'll be it'll be interesting to see for sure. But uh, yeah, it, I'm I'm glad we're past this whole anime strike thing, and I'm also glad that Amazon is sort of their their clutches on anime have, is declining because uh, I don't subscribe to Prime anymore. Because uh, fuck Jeff Bezos, it, 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 like the whole handling of that uh, that anime strike thing and communicating the situation for Canada was very poor. It's a huge. It continues to be a giant blind spot for the whole industry. And you know the fact that you don't see a lot of industry at Anime North, which is routinely one of the top four anime conventions in Canada, is I think a related part of that whole epidemic hmm. um, that's going on. That's just my view. So despite that, we, we can't deny that anime is bigger and more popular than it ever has ever been. It's just one of the nerd things that different people can be into or not. Yeah, I, I think that if they did not treat Canada like a blind spot, I think it would be much bigger here than it currently is. I could they, see that. Yeah, they will just serve the U.S. enough that or they, they'll always anticipate that enough will spill over. Uh, enough of the content will spill over into Canada that people won't complain but then when stuff doesn't spill over, they don't seem to ever do anything about it. So going back to Anime North itself, um, one other thing that I was really interested in, and I, I regret not being able to spend more time uh, exploring this, was the uh, Nomi Noichi, uh, their flea market. Did you get a chance to go to the flea market at all? I, I spent an hour and 45 minutes going to every single table there. I, I think I can say yes. Yeah. Can you, can you tell us a, a little about this event? Because it's, I, I understand it's an imported idea from uh, Anime Weekend Atlanta, um, and it's it's one I quite liked. Yeah, I've heard people say it's a ripoff, but it's it's effectively a flea market, <laughs> which is not really an original idea. My understanding is Nominoichi is literally just the Japanese word for flea market, so it's it's not it's far from an original name. Uh, yeah, it runs for I believe three hours on Friday. It starts at seven. I want to say 7 p.m. and goes until 10 p.m. I could be wrong about the hours. It is tables that are run by anime attendees who are looking to sell their wares pretty quickly. And I like it. It is a very intense event. I, I, I'd i say it may be as close to Comic Cat as I will ever get in my life. Mm-hmm. Unless I ever get the Comic Cat. They'll get it the Comic Cat someday, I believe. Oh, it's very intense because... All the sellers there are basically selling the anime stuff they don't want anymore. And we're definitely a consumerist fandom where people buy a lot of collectibles, a lot of discs, and ultimately realize maybe they didn't want 20 different My Little Pony figures or all of these DVDs and all this other nerd stuff they buy. And also, they're about to go to the anime convention for the rest of the weekends. So they want money. They're motivated sellers, and they have a lot of stuff they don't want. I do most of my spending there. It's a very interesting grab bag. You never know what you're going to see. You you have a strong general idea of what you're going to see. You're going to see people with older singles from around the boom, the bust era of anime in the 2000s or DVD sets they don't want. Some people selling doubles of gotcha sets or blind bag sets because they, they would buy like 30 of these things and make a set. And, well, I got all these 20 left to give out. But then you see fascinating oddball things because you never know what's in someone's collection. I bought a card captor Sakura cell 
from the final episode last year. Wow, how, how much did you get that for? Um, I believe it was 115, okay. and it has all four main characters on it. And Jinku Awao was there doing autographs that year as well. So oh. she signed over uh, Tomoyo. Now I just need to get the rest of the cast. Yeah, I I, uh, I love like mar- big markets and flea markets and stuff, and I I wasn't able to go because it only happens one night mm-hmm. during the con, and it's highly competitive getting a table there, from what I understand. To get a table, it's it like, is, and it took me I was gonna say it took me an hour and forty five minutes to get to every other table, which means after an hour and forty five minutes, by the tables I'm getting to at the end, they've already been picked clean of all the cool stuff. But yeah, because um my amazing anime deaths panel, which of course, pales in comparison to uh, to Daryl Surratt's uh, Anime's Craziest Deaths panel, which people always point out, of course. I had that panel was at 8, and I had to get to Anime Hell, uh, Dave Merrill's big headlining panel, mm. at uh, 10 p.m. that night. I was not going to miss that under any circumstances. Um, but I had, like, a little tiny... And I had to get dinner, too. So I had just this tiny little window of time to check out uh, Nomi no Ichi. Um, it's and intense. I, I, yeah, I if I come back to Anime North again, and I hope I do, uh, I am definitely going to do whatever I can to carve out some time to actually properly explore. I line uh, up an hour in advance with friends. I mean, I think I think you have to kind of see it to to understand just how like kind of kind of crazy and intense it is. But uh, man, it, it it seemed really great. I wish more cons would do that kind of thing. Um, I, I, yeah, no, Anime North should not be criticized as ripping this idea off. It should be, it should be a It's trend. a flea market. It. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see more of that for sure. Also, regarding, uh, just going back to my Anime Deaths panel. Uh, so that was, that was kind of interesting because I originally submitted that to Anime North as an 18 plus panel. Um, and they said I didn't have to do it as 18 plus. Uh, and I, I even got into a little, a, a, a little bit of a dispute with Norm about that at the beginning. Uh, of of the panel when I was running it because the thing about so many conventions um, like you even just say fuck once during your panel and it's automatically 18 plus this is and Canada so the con I've, I, the cons I've been to the most have been like Anime Revolution and hmm. Sakura Con I think Anime Revolution actually is way more laid back um, Sakura Con in particular is a very uptight convention I have there have been horror stories of people t- kind of being hassled for content they put in 18 plus panels so obviously I, I'm used to having to be very cautious about that kind of thing, but with at Anime North, um, yeah, there was apparently no problem with having this uh, bloody, disgusting, over-the-top panel with lots of uh, lots of swearing and nudity at uh, at 8 p.m. with a minor mature content advisory. Um, I, I almost cut some parts out before I realized it wasn't a true 18 plus panel, and I uh, Norm explicitly told me when I pitched it to him that uh, the breast milk decapitation scene from Hinden Gauss was a okay to run at that non 18 plus panel. So big thumbs up to Anime North for having um, all too sensible policies when it comes to uh, content guidelines for for panels. And I noticed everyone was dropping f bombs in their panels too, even Helen McCarthy, which was which was fantastic. I've not gotten to go to any of her panels. They always conflict with something else I want to do, or I'm trying exactly. to go through the dealer's room. Yeah, uh, uh, it, all the stuff I wanted to see was always always in conflict with something else. So I did not get to see. I saw only a portion of the stuff I actually wanted to see during this convention. It's a, it is it is an embarrassment of riches when it comes to high quality uh, high quality panels. Mm. Um, they have a yeah a good a good selection of uh, of reliable people working on it. So that was that was great and. Yeah, this is the first time I saw Anime Hell as well, and uh, it was wonderful. <laughs> Dave Dave uh, runs it outside of the conventions too. There is a um, yeah a video store here in Toronto, and he'll do it a couple times a year there as well, which is a much smaller that. audience. Yeah, and like, does, do they sell tickets or do they just kind of run it? I'm actually not sure. I've never been to it because I go to it at Anime North. I'm like, yeah, I've seen yeah, this yeah. show. Anime Hell is a is a brand that extends far beyond uh, Anime North or even Dave himself, because mm. other people do the panel as well. Uh, with Dave's explicit permission, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, it is a, it is an experience for sure. Uh, def- it, it, that alone is worth going to Anime North for. If you if you've never been, it is worth the trip. Um, I can I can say that confidently. I shop a lot at conventions, especially Anime North. Like I I, I don't need a hotel, but I will still put a thousand dollars towards the convention. As you can imagine, yeah. most of that goes to shopping. And shopping at a convention is so time consuming. Trying to see yeah. everything at a dealer, trying to get through the crowds. I spent three hours on Sunday, and I didn't actually get to see every table at the dealer's room. I'm trying to do that, you know, that, that Sunday when the dealers are desperate to sell things because they want as little to go in their truck as possible. And I still didn't get, get to see every table because I was going to yeah. 
Mike and Dave Merrill's uh, uh, Dubs at Time Forgot panel. I just ran out of time. Good time of that one for mm. sure. Yeah, and yeah, and I did four panels as well. Uh, I mentioned a couple of them already. I also did my uh, Your Name starring Keanu Reeves panel, which uh, unfortunately was listed in the printed guide as Your Name panel, um, kind of burying the lead there a bit. It's still had a good turnout. It's, it is, of course, about the lake house. Uh, I've mentioned it on this uh, this this uh, podcast before, comparing. Uh, comparing it to your name, which I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do that panel for, because I think that um, when we get the actual live action your name adaptation, I think the the uh, the se- the ability to sell this uh, this humorous idea of the lake house being a live action version of your name is not going to be as strong anymore. Um, and also, uh, Makoto Shinkai's new movie is coming out later this year as well. We saw the or, trailer for that. Yeah. It's uh it looks like his other movies, but <laughs> so did your name. So we'll see how that goes. I don't I don't think it's going to be better than your name, but I'm still looking forward to it. Uh, what is it? We- Weathering with you is the title. I think that was it. Yeah. 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 The other panel I did was my uh, blatant copyright infringement in anime, which was uh comparing music in anime to popular Western music, and that was a big hit as it always is. So yeah, uh, I had a lot of fun fun as a panelist. It was it was interesting because Pat. Most conventions at least try to, um, you know, act like they have really strict guidelines over how you run panels or how, you know, when you show up or when you have to, to leave and whatnot. Um, you're, you're supposed to do that. So, yeah. Anime North is super lax. I don't know if there even was a person in the room or a staff member in the room watching over things while I was doing the panel, which was fine because, like, I know what I'm doing when mm-hmm. I'm doing a convention panel. Not, I guess not everyone always does. I, I think the I think the video panel room was like a completely different kind of environment from other panels at the other hotels. I, I would completely so, agree. Uh, getting yeah. getting a projector for data, for example, through the normal panels process, you have to yeah. submit your images, and they have to be approved, and they're going to be preloaded on a laptop that's going to be there. Oh my god! And that's wow. a hassle because that means you have to be ready uh, at least a couple weeks before the convention with all of your slides. And I'm, yeah. I'm not that. I'm a bit of a procrastinator. I can understand it to a degree because you never know what some rando panelists might sneak into their panel. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like... Like I breast was... milk decapitation, <laughs> which would be A-OK, apparently. So. And I'm just like, just give me an HDMI cable, an audio cable, bring my own laptop. Yeah. It's all set up. I know what I'm doing. It's like, well, we have troubles. Like, I've made two Marvel movies. I can hook up a laptop. But yeah, yeah. in that video room, it's much more freeform and you yeah. see you know what you're doing. I, uh, and there's no, like, actual setup time or takedown time between panels, but... There is, there is. There's supposed to be 10 minutes. Your panel should be 50 minutes, not an hour. Yeah, this wasn't Post communicated me. to me. Um, it was never... My, my panels ran, like, just under an hour, each one. Uh, my Bionics panel ran a little over, and uh, Fred, Fred Schott's panel was right after mine, and the guy, his... Uh, his his keeper was like giving me a hard time about that, and I I apologized to Fred, and he he was perfectly okay with it. So, um, Fred, yeah, Fred was another great guest at uh, at the at the con this year. I I enjoyed. I wasn't able to see all of his panels, but I enjoyed the ones that I that I did see as well. And I know that uh, oh, and I was on the Anime Roundtable podcast as well. If you haven't listened to that, uh, I go way more in depth into my sort of sort of on hand experiences with with Anime North and comparing it to other conventions mm-hmm. as well. Um, I was. God, I like that was on Saturday night. I had such a headache at that point. I was so tempted to just leave. Um, it's funny how you can run yourself down to practically being ill at conventions and then still look back on the whole weekend as a whole so fondly. But um, I'm glad I did. I had a really good time when I was on that episode, and uh, they interviewed Fred Showed as well. So if you if you're interested in that, go uh, go check that out at the Anime Roundtable podcast. But yeah, I really enjoyed my time at Anime North. I have to say, um, I've like the stuff I've heard about this con over the years. Previously, it people emphasize. I was expecting it to be like a total shit show and kind of unenjoyable. And in the end, I found it was a total shit show, um, but it was an enjoyable shit show, uh, a, a very in a very in a very positive way. In the end, um, I really want to come back, uh, and I hope hopefully hope I do in the future. I don't know about next year because airfare from Vancouver to Toronto is. Uh, ludicrously expensive, uh, unless I get some kind of promotion at work. I don't think I'm going to be able to make that happen, but ho- hopefully I can be back the year after. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows what the world's going to look like in, in 2021, but... Um, con was good for you overall? Um, yeah, overall. Um, I, sometimes, even though I've been going for many years, sometimes scheduling things can be troublesome. Like, between about noon and 6 p.m. on Saturday are the rush hour for the convention, and food lines are massive. I was... 
I basically showed up at the convention on Saturday for uh, for Mike Tool's discotheque panel, where I managed to wind up and get a couple of free DVDs. Um, so I had only yogurt for breakfast, and I spent half of the afternoon hanging out with Glass Reflection. He's an anime YouTuber. He was just there, and we were going through the dealer's room. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted food, but the lines were massive, and my panel for anime his- fandom history is coming up at 4 p.m., and there's no time. And I wound up doing that entire panel running on nothing but one yogurt cup, an ice cream cone, and Diet Coke. I, I think I was running on less when I did my two panels on Saturday, because by the time I got to the convention center, it was like the line to get anything at Starbucks was way too long. Massive, yeah. I, I could not, I had, I had my breakfast, like yogurt and some fruit. Um, I did those two panels, um, like kind of just running on that. No, I actually, I did, I did make it out for lunch. That was kind of a mistake in itself though. Cause I, uh, I met up with a friend of mine, Phil, and we, we went to one of the nearby restaurants, which I understand this particular restaurant had very poor service, um, hmm. most of the time. And that was 10 times worth during Anime North. We were there for over an hour when we did not need to be. Oh, wow. Um, but, <laughs> um, but I, the important thing is I made it back to do my own panel. Um, still, still, uh, ran most of that day with no caffeine and that's probably why I had a giant headache by the end, Oof. which is not good. And I also wanted to mention, I, uh, yeah, I, I, my last day, I actually had a little time to wander around Toronto. Um, last time I went to Toronto, I made the mistake of n- not visiting Mervish Village when it still existed. So I did not see Honest Ed's. Oh, I was going to say, you got to see the, the pit. Well, that last time, last time I was in Toronto, which was about, I think five years ago, maybe six years ago. There was, um, it was there. It hadn't been knocked down yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could have seen Honest Ed's in the original Beguiling, uh, but they're gone. I, I, I neglected to see them. They're gone now, and it is a big regret of mine. Um, because as I understand it, uh, West Bank, the, uh, Vancouver based developer is now putting up gigantic condos, um, uh, in that, in that area. Uh, so they're, they're fucking things up all over the country, which is good to know. I also saw it tweeted that uh, I did get to see the new beguiling, uh, which in the, in this new location near. Um, Their art book sales at the convention yeah. are amazing. Yeah, I, they, I've heard the deal. They, they apparently they bring them in special. I think they're they're almost all udon art books from from the company udon. Yeah, they apparently do the order special for the convention. I'm I'm assuming there are a lot of surplus. A lot they're able to get them bulk and cheap. The deal was I think it was two for forty dollars. Seven for eighty, or if if you can get that many art books, ten for a hundred. Who who can hate ten dollars an art book? Yeah, I only got seven because I couldn't find any more art books I was interested in, or others I'd already picked up previous years. <laughs> yeah, and so that was the first thing I did in the dealer's room was put seven art books in my backpack on Friday. That that was a great, well thought out plan by me. It's like fifty pounds in my bag. Yeah, that um. I would I I would have loved to do something like that, but my uh I was all carry on mm. for my uh, for my flight, so I didn't have a lot of room to bring any swag home, uh whatsoever. But yeah, with the the I, I did go to the New Beguiling location, which is at Kensington Market, and I love Kensington Market. That's uh that's, that's still there at least. <laughs> yeah, hopefully hopefully it sticks around a little longer. Um, it is my favorite place in in Toronto. Um, and I heard that the West Bank is commissioning someone to do a graphic novel to um oh, yeah. the artistic history of Mervish Village. Uh that which they knocked down. Um so yeah, fuck fuck you West I Bank. saw the artist telling them bullshit. off. There was an artist yeah. who got an email from them and he's like, Yeah, no. <laughs> and then publicly no, post his rejection. I hope that nobody does that. Uh I mean I'm sure they'll find they'll find someone to do it, even if they have to go outside of the, the Toronto art community. Um but yeah, ugh, awful. Uh uh, everything, everything's or everything is terrible. Yeah, we're we're increasingly getting bigger and bigger corporations. Which, what I liked about the anime fandom, and it's why I still like discotheque, especially, is they're basically anime nerds running a company. Yeah. And selling to other anime nerds. Whereas increasingly we have these very very large corporate interests, which are just trying to figure out what's the most profitable and mainstream things to sell these people. Like discotheque does stuff that I don't think I think some companies would not touch. Just because it's not remotely as profitable, and it it shows in their in the whole way they do their panels. Um, yeah, Discotech is great. What did what did you win again? At the, I got Nigase Nika Narete. It's some stupid harem anime that yeah, I've never yeah. heard of. 
And uh, I also got Lupin Part, I think it's Part 4, which is apparently dub only because the company required a separate sub and dub skew, oh. bizarrely. So it's the, the English dub version. It is. Oh, okay. It's okay. I mean, they got they got the um the same cast that did part two mm. on that dub for the most part, so it's a good dub. Yeah, I've, um, heard, I've only seen Castle of Cagliostro. Cagliostro. I'm sure someone's gonna hate me for the way I pronounce that. And the Fujiko Mine spinoff. So oh yeah, yeah. That should be the same cast though for Fujiko Mine, right? Um, interestingly, it's more or less the same cast, but they're playing different roles. Okay. Uh, which is something you see a lot in, in the Lupin dubs. Mm. Um, yeah, loop on the part, part four is great. Uh, part five is, I think might be the best loop on, one of the best loop on things ever. It, so what, it's so great. No, I think, I don't know if, I don't think any kind of, oh no, it has been dubbed because, uh, Toonami's airing part five, mm. um, soon in the United States. Uh, and I'm a presuming discotheque will probably put that one out. But. Brady said I cheated at that panel by answering, giving three different answers to, uh, uh, Mike's question. Yeah, probably. But I mean, it's not like Discotech has a has some major corporation to answer to in regards to their process for giving out free uh, free DVDs. So yeah, I was asking if they would be setting up a table in the dealer's room to sell, but apparently, between the customs effort to actually bring the merchandise in to sell, they decided it wasn't worth it. So that's always a big obstacle for mm. the companies coming up here, um, and why it's also like that's all that's also that's always the excuse they've given for why they don't set up shop at like um, Vancouver conventions. But the fact that knowing that they had tried to do it in the past at Anime North and were 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 told not to, like that's frustrating because <laughs> it shows that there's, you know, there's a lot of problems going on at both ends of the spectrum there. And you know, if a, if the anime if the companies are being told not to sell their products at the biggest anime convention in Canada, which is also one of the biggest anime conventions in North America, like what does that say for the effort they're going to put into actually? reaching people in this market i think that situation though is more nuanced to be i'm not, oh, i don't know okay, the details yeah. because I, media I blasters is actually in the dealer's room they've had an industry table yeah. or a dealer's table which is also a great place to get what's left of media blasters licenses because they're basically selling directly to you and they're John very Cerebello eager to deal there yeah. yeah yeah he's there every year and he's very willing to deal in bundles you purchase because i mean he doesn't he doesn't have a middleman or a retailer he's going through to make profit they're selling directly yeah. to the consumer at that point yeah, I picked up all of Genshiken. Well, the first the first two seasons because the third Genshiken, the first two thirteen episode cores because the second season, which is the third core, for some reason, is under a different licensing company. But I picked up the first two cores for thirty five bucks last year. Yeah, the, the the Genshiken second season that's a completely different thing. Like the I understand that it even has a different voice cast in Japan for. Does it? That look. Yeah. Um, Genshiken, not, not Genshiken 2, Genshiken right. second season. Cause that's not Where they're all, all. Fujoshi, basically. I, um, I just want to say, I, I find that very interesting in Genshiken. We're talking about old anime clubs and stuff. Yeah. A lot of anime clubs have routinely had their membership cycle out, especially when they were, uh, members of, of school anime clubs. Because if they're, it's a university anime club, people are only there for two, three, four years. And yeah. you can dramatically see the culture of a club evolve and change as people cycle in and cycle out. I think the way that happens in Genshiken is actually fairly accurate. Yeah. And you have the people who are still just around forever, which, uh, is something I can relate to all too well, unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, I think that pretty much wraps us up. Uh, for today, uh, Ashley, where can uh, people find you on social media? Honestly, I think there's only my Twitter, which is um, Ashley Uncia, which it's a uh, it's Latin for ounce. I it's derived from the name Snow Leopard. I just like Snow Leopards, so it's A S H L E Y U N C I A on Twitter. It's about the only real major profile I ma- maintain online. Mm-hmm. You got a lot of uh, Pat Labor content going on on there right now, from what I've I've seen. I could go on about watching Pat Labor for the first time on Teletoon in like 1999 or 2000 or so. Yeah, that uh, a lot of people saw that. Um, that uh, could be its that, own podcast of its own. That like what? late 90s anime. You know what, Ashley? I think I'm gonna do an I'm gonna do an episode on uh, on Teletoon anime, like the the manga entertainment stuff, like Macross Plus. Uh, would you be interested in coming on for that? I think I would be. I was researching cool. that a year ago because I was trying to figure out how that came to be and how all these channels popped up around 1997. And yeah, I got to admit, let's do it. Teletoon would show some stuff they would not show today. Oh, absolutely! Like anime at all? Like <laughs> Ninja Scroll sex scenes unedited on 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 cable well, TV at midnight. It's not, a ma- it's not a matter of content. I mean, tel- Teletoon, you know, they they ran 300 uncut when they started doing live action movies. 
Um, but they just they just don't want to run anime. And actually, Teletoon now is a 24-7 um, children's network because they moved all their stuff to Adult Swim Canada, which now sucks horribly because they are splicing ads into 11-minute programs. Uh, fuck you, Chorus. Well, yeah, I'd love to talk about that because that, that, that is when I got into anime. It's what made me a Pat Lieber fan. I, a few years later, I realized there was a TV series because they only okay, had the manga let's, stuff. Let's do it. We'll do Teletoon anime sometime in the next few months. Sure. I think that'd be great. But anyway, um, that's it for now, however. Uh, so you can reach me uh, on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for tuning into this episode. The theme song is by Ultra Kleistron. You can find it on his album Packet Flood at ultraclystron.com. Um, subscribe, to, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play Music, or your podcast app of choice. And uh, see you again.